0: Buckle up, sodomites. Are you feeling sinister? Lip Media's new podcast, Sinister Sissies, is your gateway to gay true crime, homoerotic horror, and all things man-on-man and macabre. Host Jared Bardell, a former criminal lawyer and maestro of all things vice and depraved, is joined fortnightly by guests to discuss Dharma's zombie boyfriends, satanic butt-sex rituals, heavy metal homos, and every slasher flick where you get a hint of peen. In the episode that follows, Jared is joined by the gays are revolting host Luke to chat about Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas, two gay serial killer lovers. Welcome to the darker side of the rainbow. Less drag, more dread, less Glitter, more gore. Listen to Sinister Sissies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us.
1: And welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man on man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I have a special guest today. I have Luke from the Gazer Revolting. Oh welcome! My God.
2: <laughs> Thank you for having me, Jared. It's,
1: it's the first time he's seen me actually do the intro in, in person. I know, it's,
2: it's a bit, of, it, it's also the first time I've been introduced on someone else's show.
1: Oh, it's from the Gazer of revolt. Yeah, game.
2: so it's, a, it's actually quite confronting, although I'm super excited, because whenever I
1: bring up... I don't want to narrow you to the podcast. Is there something else that you're known for? No. We're probably nothing, nothing on record. <laughs> nothing on the record, that I would
2: say for right now. But, um, I, I think our producer knows how much he has to cut out of our show, because I go into tangents about people getting killed or set on fire and or eaten alive
1: you're Um, in a safe place to be as morbid and fucked up as possible so excited i'm (laughs) I'm happy to be here tonight and uh it's very exciting the topic that we're discussing today it is on henry lee lucas and otis tool what i think is the greatest gay love story never told it's a real troublesome uh, duo yes troublesome duo sorry (laughs) and uh
2: it was one... I think this case is kind of interesting because it's on the periphery of a lot of other stories. I hadn't realised who they were until I specifically went and looked at it and went, oh, oh no, it's that guy. It's, it's oh, the... do you
1: know one of them from, like, a film or something?
2: Well, Henry, Henry... A the Portrait of a Serial Killer. A Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yes. I, I think I had the VHS... You know, it was one of those blockbuster rentals you'd have to sneak in, yeah, with a bunch of other stuff so dad would let you get it, yeah. Um, I'd never realized that that was connect, I thought that was just
1: Otis is also in that film,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, I'd never connected the dots, and uh, I'm glad that we get to give a bit more infamy, I guess.
1: To... So, like, the difficult thing in doing a duo or a couple as we should say, uh, is that the early lives of both Henry Lucas and Otis Toole, I mean, you could make a movie out of any of their early childhoods. They're so bizarre and oh, disturbing.
2: I, even the quick look that I had at Henry's upbringing sounded like a David Lynch film. Horrific.
1: <laughs> And I'm going to note the horrific parts of their childhood, and that is not excusing their crimes, but it may help explain their crimes.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I, I'll let Jared get into it, but I think it's fascinating when you see these two people with sort of parallel traumas yes. end up in kind of the same place later on in life. Mm. Um I I don't think it... It's as if they were meant to be.
1: (laughs) There is a a twist of fate. It's it's a real heartwarming (laughs) story. (laughs) All right, so let's start with Henry Lee Lucas. Uh, Henry was born on the 23rd of August, 1936, in Mm -hmm. Blacksburg, Virginia. At the age of 10, he lost an eye after it became infected following a fight. Yeah. And by all accounts, uh, Henry was a very uh, troublesome child, very attention-seeking, and that was probably because home life wasn't so great. Henry's mother was a sex worker, and nothing wrong with that as a profession, but she also was strangely abusive. She used to watch, she used to make Henry watch her have sex with clients. Yeah, yeah. And a component which uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool share, um, Henry's mother used to dress him up with clo- yeah. girls' clothes, in order to embarrass him. Um, so dress him up in dresses um, in order to humiliate him. I
2: didn't get... Yeah. Okay, it was an embarrassment thing. Because I saw that parallel. So both of them were forced by their mother's... And it was the mother in both cases.
1: In, in, in to... Otis Tool's case, the mother dressed him up and used to call him Susan. Yeah. When I read it, I felt a bit sane,
2: to be honest. And I like, <laughs> like, I don't want to bring the other, the other podcast into this. But when, when I was younger, this is such a stupid tangent. You can cut this out if you want. My grandmother, my grandmother had Alzheimer's mm. when I was growing up. And she lived in a shack in our backyard. Okay. Because, yeah, I know because my father was taking care of her. Um,
1: I think it's called a granny
2: flat. Yeah. Need to call
1: it, you don't need to call it a shack.
2: No, she was literally the witch in the backyard <laughs> to me growing up. Yes. My parents couldn't explain what Alzheimer's was to me. They didn't yes. have the language. Um, but she would do this terrifying thing when I was a kid where she would come out, um, into the backyard at any given moment, and she'd scream and point at me, but she'd call me Lucy. Mm. And and should misgender me yes. and be like, little Lucy, oh, you're a pretty little girl. And really he is a pretty little girl. And, and look at me now. <laughs> uh, but something about that was I think when when you're a kid and gender roles are like so enforced on you mm. and you know, you already have the inkling that you don't quite fit in because Puberty's right around the corner, and you're mm. going to figure it out pretty soon. Uh, questioning that specific thing, or like, kind of making fun of you in that area because you haven't figured it out yet, mm. um, I think is
1: a really effect- Like, it really had an effect on me growing up. By by all accounts, not mother of the year. <laughs> Uh, and his father has an even more ridiculous, uh, story attached to him. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> in, uh, in 1949, Lucas's father, uh, Anderson, whose legs had been severed in a railroad accident. We're not giving any context as to what that involved. Yeah. No. Um, died of hypothermia after going out drunk and collapsing outside in a blizzard.
2: <laughs> if there were if you were going to go out in any way you, if if someone was going that to that would s- actually be kind of pleasant actually the letting go of it all yeah like
1: <laughs> drunk in a blizzard
2: if someone was going to summarize my life in like a wikipedia page of someone else yeah the father's got a pretty good wrap in this he, he he comes out as kind Do you of you know what?
1: it's like the the opening lines of a good novel i'm intrigued to know more about it exactly his life. <laughs> Exactly. Like, what was this railroad accident?
2: It, it just reminds me of like a Fellini film or something yeah. where there's just like a, a legless man in the corner dragging himself out into a blizzard. Um, it,
1: it, it just, it hasn't really set Henry up to succeed in well, life. this particular event, his father dying in the incident that he did, um, that resulted in him running, ar- running away when he was in sixth grade in the US. So how old would that make him? 12? Yeah, I'd say. About 12. Um, shortly after this in 1951 is when Henry claims he killed his first victim. As we will see going forward... I don't trust what Henry says. Yes. However, this is what Henry said occurred and what was his first victim. Uh, he said his first victim was 17-year-old Laura Burnsley, who he um, tried to hit on. She refused his sexual advances, and so he strangled her to death. That, that is his narrative. Um, we'll see in the future though, that, that he, um, was given a lot of names of a lot of unsolved murders yeah. and he put his hand up for a lot of things that, that you could raise an eyebrow as to whether or not it was correct. It's only starting. It's, it is, it's, it's <laughs> this is the first, this is the first potential lie. The first kind of myth. Yeah um just to again complex lives just to yada 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 about over his more complex lives he um was convicted of burglary uh when he was in prison for burglary he escaped prison and then came back in (laughs) so there's all those fun adventures um he was eventually released in 1959 in 1960 january 11th 1960 uh henry got into an argument with his mother and then he struck her over the head with a broom and then stabbed her in the neck, killing his mother. Mm. Uh, during trial, he claimed that this occurred in self defense. That didn't hold up. And uh, Henry uh, was sentenced to between 20 and 40 years imprisonment. However, he only served 10 years and was released in uh, June of 1917. Ah, oh, okay. So, I,
2: I thought the mother murder was sort of lumped in with the pylon of murders we're going no. to get to. So, uh, he served his time for mum. He
1: didn't actually. So, his, his minimum sentence was 20 years, his maximum sentence was 40 years. They released him out in 10 years due to prison overcrowding. Ah. Uh. So, so uh, the system works. The, the, state, <laughs> the state has a bit to answer for, for the crimes of Henry Lee Lucas. All right. So that's Henry. That's where Henry is in about 1970. Let's, let's take a little bit of a gander at Otis too. Jump over to our second <laughs> story. I don't know if you feel this way, but um, of the duo, I have more sympathy for Otis. Totally, I, I, I kept gravitating
2: back to Otis mm. and his story because um, there was a lot less ego, I think there, and, and it felt like even post all of this going down, Henry's the one that's got the most um, infamy out of it, and, mm. and uh, poor Otis just poor Otis, it's just like the Eeyore of this
1: kind of story just with a lot more blood also kind of looks like an eagle (laughs) yeah maybe it's because he looks. you picture like gay serial killers you kind of want them to be these like really hot muscly Uh, like bruce la bruce (laughs) kind of um henry lee lucas and otis tool are not that it's i think
2: otis is kind of the like what you pictured when you ordered it online versus when it arrives, meme. Yes. You know, that kind of thing. That is, yeah,
1: the, the Otis <laughs> kind of experience. So, Otis Toole was born the 5th of March, 1947, in Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville Florida. Mm. Um, uh, common theme here Toole's father was an alcoholic, um, but rather than dying, Toole's father abandoned him. <laughs> His abusive mother dressed him up in girls' clothes and called him Susan. Susan, yeah. Uh, The relevance of that, I'm not too sure. Uh, Tool was sexually assaulted by several people in his life, including close relatives and a a neighbour. Um... It's important to note as well, kind of going forward, particularly when we're looking at the confessions, that Toole was suffering from what was deemed mild mental retardation with an IQ of about 75. He also had, and this is quite interesting, he also had a a particular form of uh, epilepsy, which results in grand mal seizures. Now, the reason that's important is that there is a statistically significant correlation between grand mal seizures and serial killing. no. Yes, um, and they think it's because this, this particular form of, of, of seizure is related to impulse control. So, okay. so over time, if you have these grand mal seizures over time, that, that you actually inhibit your impulse control centers. And there's some very interesting research looking at the correlations between this, this, this form of epilepsy uh, and killing. So our receptionist has epilepsy. Hmm. Should I ask her what? (laughs) What? I don't think it's... (laughs) Well, maybe you should just to protect protect yourself. Also, whilst Otis was growing up, he had a fascination with fires. Who doesn't? Uh, I wasn't sure. Was it a sexual fascination with fires? The things
2: I had read said he had a very, very strong connection between... A sexual desire and urge, and the lighting, and and um, look, fire is know, fascinating. Fire. I i love fire, I <laughs> yeah. get it. I, I i will admit, I'm a pretty vanilla sex guy, but I can light a flame in front of you. Uh, I yeah, look, that makes sense to me. I can, I can. Empathize. Uh, no surprises
1: here. He is a smoker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but but to me, I was like, oh yeah, I get it. Fire is sexy. Unlike Henry, who was in his later teens when he offended for the first time, um, uh, Toole committed his first murder when he was fourteen. Okay. Um, his claim is that he was propositioned by a man um uh to sell sex because part of his abuse was um that his neighbor would uh, essentially sell him um to, to other men in the neighborhood. Oh to pimp him. Yeah. Okay. Uh and an older man propositioned to him for sex and Tool ran him over um with a car. That that is okay. that is by his account the first time that he killed a man. Uh, Tool was arrested at the age of 17 for loitering um, and actually served, ta- t- served a period of j- in jail for that offence. And that's another risk factor that we don't have to talk about. Um, people going into prison for minor offenses actually increases your likelihood to be violent in the future. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, if we think of exposure to trauma tool was exposed to trauma in childhood, I'm assuming in any kind of custodial situation, he would have been further exposed to trauma kind of increases that, Mm. that, um, issue between, uh, the years of, uh, 1966 and 1973, um, there i mean tool supported himself by hand handling and sex work he um is suspected of killing um two women during this time 24 year old patricia webb and 31 year old uh, alan holman okay. although tool never confessed to these crimes this is just speculation that they think that this occurred in Early uh, 1975, um, Tool was actually married to a woman. Ah, okay. Uh, 25 this, years older than him. Is this a very short-lived marriage? <laughs> I think uh, Early 1975, they got married. Yeah. Uh, January 1976, she left. Yeah. Uh, And she left after she realized that uh, Otis was gay. Yeah. And that's what leads us to our romantic period of the podcast. Because (laughs) these two figures separated, separated by distance, uh, separated by geography, um, similar struggles. They both killed people at this stage. Um, they're just at a soup kitchen um, one day. Soup kitchen in, I believe, Florida. I may be incorrect on that. Um, both entering into a soup kitchen, Henry looks up from his soup. Looks at Otis. <laughs> Otis looks back with his little grin and his one eye. Oh, sorry, Henry and his <laughs> and one eye. eye. Uh, and that's when they meet for the first time. And in fact, the first night they met, they fucked. Yes. <laughs> Wikipedia is very blunt about this, in fact. <laughs> the fact
2: that they met and had sex shortly thereafter. And I think every gay man that read that went, ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's just what happened. <laughs> of course
1: they did. So uh, often it's, it's it's odd how Henry and Otis's um, relationship is described in various true crime websites and stuff like that. So, yeah, some people describe them as as. Friends, some people describe them as kind of lovers so that they weren't like intimately connected, but they fucked on the rag. Yeah. Um, Or some people say that they they were in a serious relationship for at least a number of years. Um, One thing is clear, though. Things got a lot more complicated when Otis Toole introduced Henry to Otis's niece, uh, Becky. Her name is Frida, but they called her Becky. I don't understand. It's a redneck thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. This is, I think, the start of the blurring of stories as well. Um, Looking into this on my own, it's a story that's so open to interpretation by so many different people, and I think the soup kitchen is where things start to get really murky Mm. in terms of how people are reporting and, and what is out there. I've
1: got from the mid 1970s to the early 1980s. Yeah. So many different narratives.
2: Some, some don't even connect the two as having any relationship Mm. to each other whatsoever. Mm. They open a sentence with, they had sex that night. And that is the only reference to it. Uh, uh, at all, at all, yeah. Um, whereas others swing the complete other way, and this is some weird gay death, you know, relationship. Yes. Um, but I think it's the the star I, th- I th- it gets even murkier. I
1: think. So what I have is so so. Um... From the period of the mid-1970s, so when they first met in 1976, to the early 1980s, about 1981, there I've got kind of two main narratives that have happened, that is, that have happened here. Either it is a weird drifter road trip between a, a man, his male lover, and his male lover's niece, who is also his lover... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> either it's this kind of wacky road adventure, the classic tale, <laughs> where they're they're committing petty crimes and there's, there's things to establish that they committed thefts and things like yes. that as they travelled around. Um, at at various points, Otis went out on his own, and Henry and and Becky. I should mention Becky was thirteen at this stage. When I'm saying there's a relationship, also, yeah, yes, it's, it's not a relationship. There's some yeah. Um, So, either it's this, like, wacky redneck road trip, or... or I just started hearing banjos in in my head, and it's so inappropriate. Or it is the worst period of serial killings committed by two people ever in the United States history. Yeah. Um, And they're the two narratives here. And I'll explain in in a moment why this got so convoluted. But let's, let's discuss things that we do know in terms of crimes that, that were committed or at least have been substantiated by both uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole and by the authorities. Yeah. So I'm focusing on those where well, we've had three people say, yes, this happened. In May of 1980... Uh, Lucas and Toole kidnapped um, two young girls ages four and five in California. Uh, Neither stated the motivation for the original kidnapping, Um, however Lucas claimed that he sexually assaulted the five-year-old, whilst Otis Toole chose not to sexually assault her and um, beat the four-year-old to death after Henry was done he then beat the five-year-old to death in 1981 we had some evidence but not conclusive evidence that Otis Toole abducted six year old Adam Walsh Uh, yeah from a shopping center and knocked him unconscious Uh, Otis claimed that he abducted Adam Walsh in order to adopt him as his son However, once the young boy started to panic and call for his parents, Otis changed his mind, strangled young Adam Walsh to death with a seatbelt, dragged him out of his car, and decapitated him with a machete. Mm. And the reason that this this particular case gets a lot of attention is um, Adam Walsh is the son of John Walsh, who is the guy that founded America's Most Wanted.
2: At some point. There is a quote I think from Otis saying he actually drove around with the head in his car, in his car
1: and forgot mm. that it was there. In 1982, Henry Lee Lucas met 23-year-old Deborah Jackson. Deborah Jackson um in Oklahoma and they had consensual sex after Deborah refused Henry's later sexual advances he killed her um, had sex with her corpse and then dumped her body over the interstate um, and Deborah was only identified formally identified a couple of years ago up until then she was known as orange socks. Oh this is um, orange socks orange socks oh. um, she was identified I believe in 2008. Okay. Um. But up until then, she was she was a Jane Doe. Um, yeah,
2: and they knew they they would call her Orange Socks because mm. that was the only thing she was wearing. Thing that she was wearing.
1: The last killing that that I have as a confirmed confirmed all three. Um, around 1983, times a bit off here. Otis Tool meant... 19-year-old Ada Johnson at a bar, um, and we don't know the full circumstances, but he shot her in the head and then mutilated her body with a knife. In terms of later narratives that uh, Henry Lee Lucas confessed to and Otis Toole confessed to, many more murders could have happened, and indeed, Given, given how, how much they, they actually killed during this period of time, probably did happen. Yes, yeah. Um, however, the, the estimates of that are, are, are quite, quite confusing. Estimates ranging from, you know, a, a couple hundred to... At one point, Henry Lucas was claiming that they killed 3,000 as a couple... Over what would have been like a seven or eight year period.
2: That's some diligence that is putting in the hours, three thousand. But I've I've seen interviews with Otis where he was pretty quick to answer that he'd killed a, about one hundred and twenty people. Mm. You know, rough estimate. He's someone's asking him off the bat, how many uh, killed? How many people have you killed? And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, one hundred and twenty, I think. Mm. Uh, the disparity between the confirmed three party cases, um, sitting
1: around, what was that like five or six? Uh, at this stage in terms of this year by yeah. kind of 19, early 1980s, we're only sitting at about seven,
2: seven yeah, as opposed to 120. It's huge. Like, mm. and I, I'm sure the answer is somewhere in between.
1: So, and and the other thing is, I mean, when you look at these kills up until now, obviously they're fucking horrific and they're to do with quite young children. Um, but it's only in later confessions that we get this 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 narrative of cannibalism. Okay. Of Otis um, now I'm interested. Consuming, uh, consuming flesh of the victims. Um, I mean, Otis in one interview uh made comments talking about the fact that, that that um victims taste like roasted piglet um and that they differ by age.
2: Oh, I'd never
1: uh it, it's it's but the thing is I I'm not as inclined to believe these those sorts of statements. Totally. I well, try and stick to what we kinda know.
2: There's a weird little diversion you can go when looking into the story too. Um so I think this all kind of came to light while they were incarcerated. Mm. Um, but Otis was, I think it was Otis that was raised quite religious. Or He would actually stated that his grandmother was a Satanist. Yes. Um, yes, that was Otis. And that she would take him to graveyards to dig up bones for Satanic rituals. Mm. Um, this is, as bizarre as that sounds, this is a footnote. On Wiki Like this is like yes. just a little addendum not even fully looked into. And at some point this weird, you get weird mentions of a death cult um that he's been indoctrinated into. Mm. And it all kind of reeks of um throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. So to be if honest. we were to
1: accept Henry Lee Lucas's and Otis Tools narrative, right? Yeah. In this period of time, they killed 3,000 people. Yes. Ritualistically? Yes. In support of some sort of satanic goal? Yes. Where there would be cannibalism and often the focus was children um, over this period of time. The reason I'm calling bullshit on a lot of this is that you have to look at the time period in which they were arrested and then ultimately convicted where satanic cults yeah that panic was all the rage yeah okay yeah if you were going to um inflate your status as a killer um you would definitely go to the satanic cult they were the narrative. RuPaul's Drag Race yes, they were. of serial killers for <laughs> that period. Like, it's it's a certain... I have heard of things with um, modern killers now that after they kill someone or do something like that, they'll claim that they were doing it on behalf of, say, Islamic State. Oh. Things like that. So I actually think that there's probably a parallel there of um, you could think of Satanism... In the late 1980s and early 1990s, what Islamic terrorism is now. Yeah. As something that people claim to give mm-hmm. their killing like a little bit of a little bit spice.
2: Absolutely. And and the interview I had had seen, Otis said a lot of these kills were ordered from this hand of death or whatever it was, cult mm. that specifically said, you need to kill this person. The amount of organisation I think involved in that <laughs> for an or- like a, a cult some sort of organised religion.
1: Also, if you've got to pick your fucking killers, yeah, I don't think you'd pick Henry <laughs> <laughs> Henry Lucas and Otis too. Like if I if you were this grand cult,
2: oh, absolutely, it, it's a bit of a farce. I I'm I could, available I, you know, to hire. Yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, geez. there are many more capable. <laughs> I'm morally ambiguous. So, to kind of go, go ground ourselves a little bit oh, yeah. um, through this period of time, at some point, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole parted ways. I, don't, I haven't read anything that said that there was any animosity between them. Um, and uh, Henry Lee Lucas ended up shacking up with Becky.
2: Yeah, it's a real... I feel like this is the broke-back mountain part of the story
1: where they go and <laughs> go they the separate like ways.
2: separate ways and they settle down <laughs> or like attempt to settle down settle down
1: uh, with his teenage wife yeah with his 13 year old <laughs> wife um, Well, I think she's 15 in this at by this stage, at this stage yeah uh so Becky and Henry Lee Lucas end up getting some work working for this 82 year old woman named Kate Rich in Texas oh. um they end up defrauding her and stealing her checks Okay. Which, you know, those <laughs> rascals. It's good money <laughs> if you can get it. Uh, and uh, at some point, we know that Becky began to get homesick and in response to that, and wanting to leave, and in response to that, uh, Lucas killed, killed both her. Becky and poor old 82-year-old Kate Rich as well. Katie didn't need to if this
2: was a horror film, I'd say Katie didn't need to die at this mm. point in mm. the story. Maybe I'm, I have too many sociopathic tendencies that I see things in narrative form. Mm. It lessens the importance of the Becky uh, kind of kill. Oh, yeah. To to just have this collateral damage of Katie being... Oh, yeah, exactly. Just she just doesn't need air. it. Um,
1: give Katie a break. And look, so... There's an interesting question to be asked about Becky. So, Becky was killed. um, And if we were to accept Henry and Otis's narrative, Becky was travelling with them Mm -hmm. throughout this time. And so, there are some narratives which actually say that Becky may have been heavily involved in the murders. Mm. We have nothing to substantiate that, though.
2: Yeah. I did see a little quote where they said it actually helped their cover to have... A young woman. Uh, a young woman with them, and that should, say, wait in the car outside while they went in um, to rob and, and kill someone. Um, so it just, yeah, I, I think we're painting it kind of as like a fun uh,
1: hillbillies <laughs> kind of ride. I mean, but my narrative uh, in my head is... In my head, too. If they just committed petty crimes, I would be totally on board. If they were just like stealing cows or something. <laughs>
2: That'd be the Ned Kellys that you you know like would have
1: funny little figurines of them if they didn't slaughter people. Meanwhile, Otis, uh, yes, he had parted ways with Henry Wil Lucas, um, and it actually started a relationship with a 64 year old man named George Sonnenberg. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this. It was a lovers' quarrel, so. Uh, In January of 1982, uh, Toole got into a disagreement with George Sonnenberg and uh, as a result of that um, barricaded George into a room and then set the building on fire. Oh, okay, yeah. Otis um, was in custody, uh, strangely enough, for setting a fire. Yeah. Uh, and he was in custody for an unrelated arson. And <laughs> whilst in custody for an unrelated arson, he confessed to the murder of Sonnenberg. He just couldn't quit those fires, could he? <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Uh, also, in March of 1983, so soon after this, uh, Lucas was arrested for unlawful possession of a firearm. And whilst in custody, he confessed. Firstly, to the murder of Becky and Rich. Okay. And now is when things get quite confusing. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, Otis Toole was convicted of seven murders. And Henry Lee Lucas was convicted of 11. Mm -hmm. But this followed what was a very confusing series of confessions by mainly Henry uh, mainly Henry Lucas, uh, but also Otis. Yeah. So that period of time, that the kind of redneck getaway that we were talking about, <laughs> um, uh, that's the period of time in which Henry appeared to confess to hundreds, if not thousands, of crimes. In fact, there was a particular task force set up just to corroborate Henry Lee Lucas's confessions. No way called the Lucas Task Force. Now, we need to acknowledge the uh, shitty political uh, factors in this, in that police in various states had a number of unsolved murders on their books. That they needed to do something with. And a lot of them involved um, unidentified victims, so John Doe's and Jane Doe's. And anything that Henry Lee Lucas said that connected him or Otis to those crimes allowed them to close those cases. Yeah. Uh, and one of the biggest criticisms of this and why you will see um, figures saying that, that Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole killed hundreds, maybe thousands of people, uh, the reason people are critical of that is that there isn't a lot of supporting evidence. Basically, if Henry said that, oh, when Otis and I were in Texas, we killed a blonde woman, uh, police would look at their unsolved murders in that area, they would identify a blonde woman in that area, and they would say, oh, okay, that was a Henry Lee Lucas crime, let's close that case. Yeah. It was politically, um, and in terms of resources and allocating them, quite convenient for, for the police.
2: To me, this... I'm
1: such a little shit. Like,
2: I I love being frustrating. I, I love just riling people up, and this part of their story mm. actually really resonates with me because I can't think of a bigger grift you could do on a um sort of government level than to uh what's the word confess yeah confessed to hundreds of cold cases because these were also cold cases like things that they had pretty much given up on it is it is incredibly
1: hard to investigate a crime when you can't identify a victim yeah because you know vast majority of crimes are are people who know each other if you don't even know who the victim is you can't even start an investigation where do you start it's like when you don't know
2: someone's surname and Mm. you're trying to stalk them on facebook Mm. so you just type in james you know I'm fairly good at that. I, <laughs> I know, that. I know all the gay listeners will be like, I know this. <laughs> I know I've guess. done this before. Um but yeah, what a what a what a grift. And I I, I have to remind myself actually to be sympathetic to the families. Cause I think yeah. that's that's the actually the really shitty part of this hmm. is to falsely um kind of admit guilt to a murder. It does give some closure and, to to the families.
1: And, and for that, police should have done more due diligence. It was actually a lot of journalists um, yes. looking at the cases that both of them were confessing to. In particular, a journal- journalist named uh, Hugh Ainsworth um, looked at all the claims that were being made by Henry Lee Lucas and they noted the fact that... That uh, for that to be substantiated within very short time periods, um, both of them would have had to have covered like tens of thousands of miles across the country. They had country. to be efficient. They had to be yeah superhuman. They would have had to have essentially just like killed in a town and then driven for like thirteen hours and then killed again and then like so so it, it just wasn't reasonable that these crimes were committed by both of them. Yeah. So this is where we get to. We have this couple, Henry Lucas and Otis Tool. How many people did they actually kill? Um, and I've tried to look for the most authentic estimates that they are. Oh, and taken together as a couple, yes, it is estimated that they killed between seventy and one hundred and fifty people. That's
2: actually higher than I was expecting.
1: Yeah. So, so these are ones that that that. Um, both Henry and Otis were able to give uh, information that you would Mm. not otherwise expect them to have. Um, They obviously were not tried and convicted for all of these crimes because that would have been really resource intensive and they all had multiple life sentences. Yeah. Anyway, um, but that is the best estimate that we have, between 70 and 200 people, which is a ridiculously broad estimate, Um, but that is what we have to work with. Uh, both Otis and Henry, uh, died in prison on the 12th of March, 2001, Henry Lucas was found dead in prison of heart failure at the age of 64. Yeah. And on the 15th of September, 1996, at the age of 49, Otis Toole died, um, of liver cirrhosis.
2: Yeah. It's a, it, it's a bit of a bummer end to there little narratives. I've, so much of this is narrative based. Yeah. You know, it, it's people Look, creating stories.
1: Serial killers do not live uh, Hollywood lives. I'm no, sure. no. Although, if there was going to be a Hollywood movie, I know there's been Henry portrait of a killer, but if there was an authentic Hollywood movie, movie who would play Henry Lou Lucas and Otis Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> um, uh. I'm thinking like Will Ferrell as Otis. Oh, but who would watch that? <laughs> Will Ferrell is. It can be. It can be a comedic take. Will Ferrell is Otis. Henry. Um, who is the guy from No Country for Old Men? Um, Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel, Daniel Day Lewis. Lewis came out of retirement and played Henry Lou Lucas. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet can play Becky. <laughs> yeah. Well, like
2: you're right. To be completely honest, if they were ever going to make Another film based off this story, it would be probably Zac
1: Efron again. Oh,
2: he, he was like, okay
1: as Bundy. Do you think so? I didn't like. I didn't like the the film. Um, but but that, that's what Bundy looked like though. He, he guess, had a charm I, to him.
2: I could not stomach that film.
1: <laughs> I could not stomach it. I kind of didn't like it because weren't. It wasn't gory enough for me. <laughs> I didn't
2: like it because it felt like a rom com. Oh,
1: it, it, well, that was it, the like, point. Though. Like it. it it was it meant to be about that relationship
2: I, I, yeah I just I couldn't deal with it I couldn't deal with it I couldn't deal with anyone taking this particular story as well mm. and trying to polish it up mm. into if, if you gave it to Lars von Trier or something and you shot it on a handy yes. cam yeah, yeah. And, and you got like actual rednecks to play it like just, just off the street, just off the
1: street. Yeah, yeah. I'd be on board and I think it's a story worth telling mm. as well um How do okay? So I think this is kind of an interesting question. Yeah. um Do you think? I mean, I, I think one of the reasons that we don't know this case and and, and why it hasn't been as well publicised is because there's so many like maybe maybe nots. I yeah, that's definitely a thing as well. But uh, something that 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 I think also needs to be dealt with, particularly these days, because people are worried about. Um, uh, I don't use the word political correctness but like the implications of certain representations right don't say political correctness <laughs> on a podcast <laughs> you're asking for trouble the the, the implications of certain depictions yeah do, do do you think we would struggle if there was a movie made today about a, a gay couple serial killers yes
2: mm. yeah i think so absolutely um uh, when i was thinking because I th- I actually thought of this before coming in and I thought, could you do a like Charlize Theron in Monster kind of pretty confronting, gritty... I think
1: Eileen, Eileen Wuornos had sympathetic elements. But she had sympathetic elements. Although I have heard criticisms of Monster that they actually give her a little bit too much credit. Yeah. Like that she actually was much more of a sociopath than they were willing to accept for that film. I'm, I'm sure they they were, but... They always, you always have to
2: spit-shine mm. stories a little bit, I think, to adapt them to film. And this one's really hard to do that. And then when you couple it with the fact that they might be a part of a minority demographic, mm. uh, or as yeah, I just think people wouldn't not be fond of of this as a film i i would love to watch it yeah even from the start of this podcast take off and like all the killing that happened afterwards but think of the childhood of these two people fascinating um that's something i would love to know more about and see and it's a story i'd love to hear um but we've started the narrative though yeah. in this podcast. Hopefully, we get some sort of royalty check <laughs> for it. But yeah, I, I, I think it gets way too way too grey. Mm. And um, yeah, the things that really interested me about this is also the motive isn't extremely clear. No,
1: and and I, I think at least in some of the crimes, Henry Lee Lucas was motivated. By sex yeah um uh otis too though. very strange i mean ostensibly cannibalism (laughs) yeah and that
2: i think is one of the key elements to a horror film or like a a portrait sorry that's so on the nose portrait of a serial killer is like motive yeah and why are they doing this we want an insight and and when it comes to otis there's not much insight there it really just seems like he killed because he was there and that's what was being asked of him or, like, that was just the situation and what he uh, what he with knew. With so
1: many of these cases, we just need to be comfortable in the grey.
2: Yes. And that's what this is, is just, like, a whole lot of grey areas...
0: Thank you to Luke for joining me on this episode. Uh, check out the Gazer Revolting uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a wonderful show and part of the Lip Media family. Uh, as always, you can uh, find us at Sinister Sissies on Twitter, uh, or you can follow me individually at Jared Bartle on Twitter. That's Jared with a Y. I'd like to encourage one of our listeners to be the first to contribute to the Patreon. Uh, Sinister Sissies on Patreon. On there already are audio commentaries for Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Salo or 120 Days of Sodom. Uh, There's also a video of me explaining the principles of the Church of Satan. If that interests you at all, please do consider becoming a Patreon for as low or as much as you'd be willing to contribute. It really helps out the show. Until next time, stay sinister.